Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. All right, I see a spiky spike. Are we going live with this? We didn't ever discuss that at all. We didn't, and in fact, I want that's something I kind of, I kind of want to just kind of break in. Um, Mitch, how would you feel if we went on Facebook Live for the conversation? Go for it. Is Elizabeth shaking her head? No, Elizabeth, how do you feel? We can go for it. Are you sure? I like to mentally prepare myself if I'm going to be live online. I'm just, I'm weird like that. Sorry. No, then we won't. We don't have to. We can go live. We have somebody from Australia. That doesn't happen every day. <laughs> well, I told PK we probably would be on Facebook Live, and PK Langley very much is looking forward to hearing this conversation. So I, I kind of, I kind of want to piss off PK. Yeah, you really don't. <laughs> it's true. And it's Mitch, true. I actually just got her to come on to my other podcast. She's going to be one of the one of my new co-hosts, and I'm really oh, excited. Nice. So, yeah. Mitch, are you oh, familiar yeah. with PK? Yeah. So. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I've stayed with Kim or PK, yeah. Gotcha. Nice. That, that was an experience. Her dog bit through my lip. Yeah. What? Wow. And I got to we'll see like the American reaction sure. of like terror that I was going to like sue them or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I'd only, I think I'd only just really met them in person. <gasps> and I, their dog bit through my, and I was like, guys, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! I did, I'm assuming you had to get some sort of stitches if it went well, through your her lip. Partner Ashley um, is a nurse. Oh, perfect! So like, if you can do something about it, like it's good. I'd rather not go to a hospital here. So they just put some little strips on it. Yeah, because it, it would have cost you like fifty thousand dollars just to get some lip stitches. Yeah, yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. And then I drove this shit from Houston. I think they were living in to Dallas. That's, that nice. was also terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Always driving on the wrong side of the road down here. Yeah. I broke many rules, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> As do we all. <laughs> no, we're law-abiding citizens here. <laughs> Chris, you want to pull the music? No. My internet's unstable. Omar? Sure. Or and... we could just sing it a cappella. <laughs> I would rather us not do that. 
honestly. You're listening to the Face Bay Network. <laughs> we invite people of all backgrounds to share their stories. Through nuanced conversations and forward thinking and not taking ourselves too seriously. Everyone's story matters. Every voice is important. Life is polarizing. But not everything is black and white. Come join us as we fade to gray. Hi, I'm Seth and I'm coming in. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Mitch. So I'm going to have to explain that. Uh, I often... I often set up a lot of the interviews for our podcast. And so what happens is I'm always the one that's doing the intros at the beginning. And I often will say, we're coming in with someone and they are like children and they laugh at this. (laughs) And so now it's, I don't even have to say it. It's just mentioned, but everyone, I want to welcome you to another episode of fade to gray. It is my honor and our privilege to introduce to you Mitch Ganey. Um, He's an Australian uh, counselor, coach, and facilitator, and he's got involvement in mental health. But uh, Mitch, we're just so happy to have you on today. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. We are very excited to have you. Um, and, And really what we strive for on our show is kind of being able to hear people's story. So can you tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up in Australia? God's country, yeah. Lots of kangaroos um, and wallabies trying to attack uh, you at so every... Not much where I grew up, but where we kind of moved, there was lots of kangaroos. Um, yeah, growing up in Australia was awesome. I grew up um, in Western Sydney, uh, so that's not going to mean much to many of you, guys, but it's kind of a lower socioeconomic area. We didn't really grow up with a lot. Had a mum and dad, an older sister. Um, life was pretty simple, pretty chilled. Um, yeah, Australia, great place. You Were you all, all pretty religious? When you can. No, Australia is not a super religious country. Um, definitely when I was growing up, there was slightly more of a religious uh, culture, not like the American one from what I've come to understand. I grew up in church. So from the age of three, uh, we start, my mother took me and my sister to the Anglican church. So mm-hmm. I think that's kind of like the Episcopalian church over there. Um, but I would say most of the families and children that I grew up with in school, most of them wouldn't have gone to church. Uh, we have a, a small area of New South Wales, which is where Sydney is, uh, where Hillsong is, which mm. we kind of call the Bible Belt. Um, oh, the Bible of, Belt. But didn't the Hillsong yeah. pastor just get recently removed for moral failure, quote unquote? That was in New York, yes. Um, oh, the one in New York. Beaver's, okay. Beaver's pastor. Um, <laughs> oh, poor Beaver. He poor had a Beaver. whole turnaround, too. He like, loves Jesus now. Okay, okay. Let's well, that's, that's why it's his, talk about his Mitch, pastor. Anyway. Not Beaver. Hillsong. Right. Sorry, I got distracted. Yeah, it happens. Um, you might be able to hear a kookaburra in the background. I'm not 100% sure. Um, and then, kind ah. of Queensland, North Queenslandy, uh, you get slightly more religious, but it's definitely not part of our culture like it is for you guys. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> yeah. 
It's not wrapped up into your politics. Uh, our our prime minister at the moment, Scott Morrison, uh, probably modelled himself after Trump a bit, um, and is a Pentecostal. Oh, I'm sorry, first Pentecostal pastor. Look, that would be my sentiment. Um, <laughs> but again, without it being deeply entrenched in our in our culture, in fact, people were very suspicious of his faith when he took um, took office. Um, there was lots of like, what is this Pentecostalism and how is it influencing his politics? So Australians are deeply suspicious of religion, particularly more fundamentalist um, hmm. or mystical type faiths. Good for them. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you get wrapped up in church then? How did you get involved in, uh, in, in church? Yes. So I believe, I believe it happened. My older sister, uh, went to like a, a school holiday Bible club or a kids club that was run by the local church. Um, and then said that she wanted to start going to church. She would have been about five at the time. Hmm. Um, and so my mother who had a very nominal kind of religious upbringing, I, I think they grew up believing in God, but not really participating in church. Um, just kind of was like, okay, well, I was christened Anglican, so to the Anglican church we shall go. Um, yeah, so we went to a very kind of nominal for you, I guess, mainline Anglican church. And then when I was about 13, we we switched camps and went to the Pentecostal church. Uh-oh. 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 <laughs> where it all began. <laughs> well, I want to hear about that. So... When you say Pentecostal, I just want to make sure it's the same as because when you say Pentecostal, that's you know that triggers a lot of emotions for me. So I mean, are we talking the same thing? I'm wondering. Like, so you know, it was Define an assembly. It. it was an assemblies of God church. I think oh, you guys have Jesus. an assemblies of God. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. kind of not. So it wasn't like a Bethel or a Toronto blessing type church, although they had a very strong narrative of revival. Um, mm-hmm. They'd kind of gone through a period of revival and renewal. Uh, Did you do and- treasure hunts and prophet- <laughs> no. prophetic ministry? How, was that no, strong so you guys we were kind of of the, of the, <laughs> so I've got this very vivid memory of, um, we went to a way to like one of the youth conferences, planet shakers um which is sounds familiar i don't know yeah so it's kind of like it's like a slightly more penty version of hillsong okay um and then i remember we came back and everyone was on fire for jesus and you know filled with the presence of god yada 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 and um but were you praying in tongues that's what oh we were definitely praying in tongues yeah um and i remember i went and prayed for my pastor and i put my hand on his head and then i later got told off by someone because as a mere pleb of the church, um, <laughs> I was shouldn't have put my hand on his head because that was a signal of authority that I didn't have. I was fourteen at the time, so I was slightly confused. Um, mm. But no, it was it was it was kind of actually quite a controlling church. Um, so I was involved in the youth group. We went to the morning service. We went to the evening service. Um, you kind of had to ask permission not to be there or explain to the pastors why you weren't at youth group, why you yeah, weren't. Definitely at- understand that. Yeah, same. Uh, <laughs> you had to get permission to date. 
Um, permission to date. Yeah. Who, so if you want to provided date some, the, yeah, who provided consent? Uh, so if you were part of the youth group, you had to go and ask the youth pastor who was the pastor's son. <laughs> and then if you dated someone outside of the church, the expectation was that they would come to our church. Um, and then when we moved cities, so we moved from Sydney to Canberra, which was about three hours away. Um, we would genuinely ask whether we would still be attending each Sunday. We we're like, Ooh, it's three hour drive. Probably not. Um, <laughs> and I remember someone asked my mother, well, what about your husband? And mum was like, what, what about him? She's like, well, how will he get saved? And mum was like, well, there's, there's other churches. Um, <laughs> but in saying all that, it was a, a very pivotal part of mine and my mum's and my sister's uh, lives. We kind of, I remember when we first went for the first few weeks, my mother would just cry every single service as something was happening within her, which we came to know as the presence of God was healing her. So there were some very uh, profound experiences in there, but there was also the beginnings of a, what's what's this particularly around some of the attitudes around money yeah omar and i can uh identify with that just so you know we worked with the assemblies of god church omar worked with them for what 10 years babe and we worked together with a church in alaska for about five years that was assemblies of god so everything you're saying is like oh yeah oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah so so when you moved to i'm, I'm gonna say it wrong but canberra did you canberra yep Canberra, did you uh, find another Assemblies of God church to attend or did you find go a different route? Uh, so we kind of did the typical church shopping when we first got there, um, but we settled on a, it was called a CCC church or a C3 church or a Christian city church, which was, I think there's some of them in the States now, but <laughs> they are essentially like Hillsong's counterpart. Huh. So it's kind of, yeah, similar to We have a CCC Hillsong. church over here in Pennsylvania, but it's not called the City Church. They're more connected to the Methodist denomination. No, so the D3 Methodist. Church, uh, Dr. Phil Pringle is the, the head honcho of that. It's kind of like a, yeah, quite similar to Hillsong, a competitor, if you will. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that was, again, great. We'd moved to a new city. You know, the, the the brilliant thing of church is is the community that you kind of can instantly form. Um, and for the most part, it, it was great. Again, there were some questions that me and my mother started having around, particularly the issue around money, because it was just laboured again and again and again. And just some dynamics that were happening around, uh, again, this kind of dominating leader. Um, and if you questioned him, it was literally, I'm the pastor, I hear from God, not you. Cult-like, where he's the only one with authority and, and he's the only one that can kind of tell you what should happen with your life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you're still 14 uh, around that age at this time? Uh, so we moved to Canberra when I was 15, so I would have been okay. 15, 16. Gotcha. Um, yeah. And so we so were there you for mentioned it. that your pastor was concerned if you're going to a new church, like that your dad wasn't going to be able to be saved. So what's the dynamics? What were the d dynamics like that 
then? Was he going to church with you guys at the Assemblies of God Church at the time and just no, not so, a professed believer? Was, yeah, yeah so most of, my, um, <laughs> most of our church family assumed my mum was a, a single mum, to be honest, because dad was never really in any way, shape or form involved in our church life. Um, he just wasn't a, wasn't a believer, um, didn't really care that we went and that we believed in it. Um, but it just, just wasn't for him. I remember he came to my baptism, I think, my sister's baptism, uh, when we were older. Uh, and he came to like the Christmas service. Um, and that, that was pretty much the extent of his involvement. But was there any there was strain then with um, him not being in the picture and being involved in this, such a controlling church? Was like, like your father, not, I want to say looked as the enemy, but as the other almost, you know, where because you, know you guys so, are all going to heaven and he's outside of that boat. Going to hell. <laughs> um, <laughs> do you know what? It did set up a very unhealthy dynamic for me in particular, I think. Um, because out of everyone in the family, I was the most fervent um, believer. Um, and obviously really wanted my dad to be involved in it. Right. Um, and so, you know, there was between me and my mom, there was always the like praying for his salvation and mm -hmm. that he would, he would come to church. Um, but then also my family's very close, but I, I kind of vaguely remember it was, we never really talked to him too much about it. Um, and I know my mom, my dad will never watch this. Mum maybe wasn't so honest with the money that was being given to the church mm -hmm. um, because she knew that my dad would be like, what the fuck? Sorry if I'm not allowed to swear. Um, <laughs> oh, no. Swear. Yes. You can swear You're on this fine. show. <laughs> oh, good. It would be very difficult for me as an Australian not to swear. Um, <laughs> I yeah, mean, are you uh, drunk yet? Is it, is it noon? <laughs> I am. Um, have my morning beer. Um, yeah, so... But definitely the dynamic for me growing up was because, you know, there's this whole conversation that happens around the father heart of God and, you know, we learn from our earthly father and if there's damage there, then that's going to impact your relationship with God. And I just so wanted to be perfect in my relationship with God that there was, I guess, a bit of resentment towards my dad that he wasn't religious and that mm -hmm. he couldn't meet meet me there and I, I remember very specifically uh, this weird conversation me and him had on my birthday where I asked him what he believed and my dad now that he's older and he's got a little grandkid is like pretty open and chatty and will share stuff but he was a police officer so he was from rural Australia was a police officer he was not a man of sharing his emotions um, and I remember asking him you know what do you believe and he said it's none of your business what I believe which of course then like spiked all my penty senses that he was obviously involved in some form of satanic cult worship. Um, oh. And I needed to pray even more fervently for his soul. Oh, that's so stressful. And so that leads me into, cause that's kind of big in the symbols of God is the whole spiritual fathering thing too. So then mm -hmm. uh, you want to have like, a good covering. And if your dad is not being a covering, it sounds like, your senior pastor had that personality where he was going to be the covering for all. So was there something like that? Did you have a man 
in your life that was say like godly that you looked up to that you considered your paul or your you know your spiritual father my paul the youth minister that he had to ask about dating someone right yeah maybe possibly well so when when i was in that church um i they had an official mentoring program and i was i was part of the mentoring program and i had the like junior youth pastor because of my age group and the mentoring essentially involved of me buying him a bottle of water a packet of mints and following him, him, following him around the church, and he basically was like, "All right, stack the chairs and take the pulpit when I'm ready to give the altar call." That was pretty much the extent of my mentoring there. Um, Sounds about right. You didn't have to clean any toilets, though. So apparently, that was light mentoring. No, I didn't have to clean <laughs> toilets. Um, but then when we kind of moved to Canberra, we ended up leaving the C3 church just because we we just couldn't really gel with. The dynamic particularly around money and this kind of very culty i'm in control you do not question us um and i also i just started to question like the whole notion of altar calls and mm-hmm. all of that stuff and so we we went to a, a much smaller church that was much more toronto mm. definitely but really small and uh, i don't know the american word for this but we would say like daggy or naff or it was just kind of um basic. Where's Chomby when you need him? Yeah. <laughs> um, For it was translation. just very basic. Yeah. Like you'd rock up in your sweatpants and um, Oh, okay. Maybe it's it's very loose, very um very casual. Uh, yeah, casual, yeah, yeah, comfortable. Um and I was friends with the pastor's kids, and so I had a lot to do with the pastor and the and the um, youth minister as well. So they were probably probably it, but Australians are also not american so like we kind of adopted all of these like american concepts but then they're really hard to play out here because we're just so like when you tell me what to do (laughs) like um or yeah too much effort to cover all of these people yeah well i have a question for you because I, i i know that you are someone who deals with trauma right you are a therapist is it correct currently yes and my background's in counseling yeah okay and so there had to have been trauma in your life i would think that would push you in that direction and i'm guessing that this trauma probably a big part of it happened from the church um were there any specific things that you can remember or recall that uh were traumatic experiences (laughs) can i say all of it um (laughs) yeah yeah so you know, this is something that I'm, I'm still, there's like so many layers to it, which I'm sure yes. you guys will get as well, where you kind of reach this new stage and then reflect even further. So, I, well, to, let's start with the obvious one. I realized pretty early on that I was gay or that I struggled with same-sex attraction. Oh, um, that's, you had the spirit yep. of lasciviousness. Or that I had gay demons in me. <laughs> oh, right. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> Jesus, the spirit of Rapal in me. Um, the spirit yeah, I mean, of it's a great, it's a great spirit, Mitch. Listen, I will tell you, I have been to RuPaul's Drag Con, and it is wonderful. Oh Embrace Break the spirit; off. it's okay. <laughs> but I, I can, I can identify with that one hundred percent because I remember putting like oil on the doors, you know. I was going there for a and, second. Like, <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> oh, <Omar. laughs> With the no. oil, I'm like, okay, well, let's talk. Yeah, about, I got let's talk it. About yeah, it. I got 
We're gonna know, we're gonna give not. Mitch more trauma in this conversation. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. But I was just saying, like, that you know, the get the demons cast out of you type of yeah. thing. I I can identify with that. So, like, at what point and, what and how age? and how do you get the demons cast out? Wasn't it like the sexual demon cast out? <laughs> Remember that episode? That was a way throwback. I'm sorry. That was oh, our geez. first episode of Mark. It wasn't the first. Mitch, that was one. We apologize. We're going to keep talking. <laughs> yeah. What? What? Well, no, Mitch. You don't present either. Uh, like you, you were said, obviously, when you got into talking about the gay conversation. But like, as far as like, doesn't present really gay. Like, like as far as like, how old were you when you realized? Like, I mean, you have the worst like, gaydar it, it, ever. Do I? Do I? I mean, yes, I, I'm sorry. You I mean, do. Most most Pinch, my, fri- most I my friends gotten... that I have act as gay as you do. I'm just saying. Let's just. <laughs> I have not gotten. They I sleep feel with like men. I, I know this is about Mitch, but oh I'm not very guys. straight presenting. No, and you're not. So sorry, bud. Whatever. Okay, so it's just because yes, I've got my professional voice on. If we were hanging out in person, oh. you'd be like, oh, no. um, <laughs> that would be a hate guys- crime, so you wouldn't be able to say things like That's that. right. Um, <laughs> so I can't remember what the question was now. Basically, I just want to know more about, you know, the, about my maybe, maybe some of the traumatic experiences from <laughs> yeah. the church. Well, I was on this podcast called Fade to Gray, and now I'm traumatized. Because <laughs> the majority of our listeners have experienced a bunch of trauma as it you know relates to the church. And so they might be able to relate with your, your story as well. Yeah. So I think there's kind of, there's this obvious one around my sexuality, which I'm happy to chat about. And then there's this other one that I'm, slowly unpeeling still i can chat about a bit later but i think fundamentally i was a really sensitive kid um and i was a super affectionate kid um i was uh i definitely did not fit the the standards of um, a a little boy or a masculine australian lower socioeconomic <laughs> you weren't uh, a bogan I wasn't a bogan, uh, uh, though. I, yeah, and my my parents are amazing. I love them. I've got a great relationship with them. But you know, they had their shit from just life and and whatever. So, and my mum will say to me now, I, I didn't really know how to parent you because you were just so sensitive. Um, and I think that was actually what drove me towards the charismatic Pentecostal church. It was actually me. I I wanted to explore this because the mainstream church although i'm so grateful for it i remember i would read the bible and kind of go well where's all of these like it's miracles and hearing from god and right yeah. surely if god's real i should be able to experience this i should be able to know it um rather than just a thought which kind of led me on the interwebs i think i found benny Hinn. Um, oh no wow <laughs> and oh, no. so I, I wanted to know more about oh. this and then trigger also A-H-M. yeah uh, also, like, I didn't really, so I went through, let just get real personal here. I went through puberty by the time I was like nine years old. So by the time wow. I'm 12, I'm five foot 10, Same. growing a beard, yeah, acne everywhere. Same. You've um, never been five foot ten I, in your life, Chris. Chris so you I was going to say, Chris, five foot ten. <laughs> Everything yeah. except the five foot ten. <laughs> um, and I didn't have a lot of friends. And so obviously there's that. You know, the church kind of creates this instant, instant friendship group. Yeah. I think so. Um, and I, I really threw myself into it, particularly 
around this this age of 13, 14, when I experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, like something in my life changed. I started to have these moments of deep intimacy with that which I called God. And um, I would experience the, the, the presence of God as this weighty peace was the only way I could kind of describe it or this diffuse kind of awareness and space. And so I really threw myself into it and I wanted more and more of it. And obviously the culture kind of encourages that and feeds it and whatever. And at the same time, I've got this slow kind of understanding of, oh, I'm, I'm not quite like everyone else. And um, I was hanging out with the guys and they were talking about girls in a way which used to really upset me and annoy me. And I was like, well, it's just because I'm so holy that um, I don't have these lustful thoughts towards women and um, it's disrespectful and um, uh, whatever. And and so that kind of kept going on. And look, it doesn't help that my last name was Gainey. So all through growing up, it was like, oh, you've got Gainies. Clever work, children. <laughs> um, turns out not just my knees, guys. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and so... Kids are so cruel. Horrible. Um, <laughs> and so I kind of threw myself more and more into it. And then the more that I knees realized... First. Knees first, yeah. Oh, my. Um, <laughs> and then the more that I realized that, hey, this, this I'm, I'm not right. There's something wrong here the kind of more and more I threw myself into it. Um, yeah. So and, I'm going to jump. Yeah, I'm ahead. jumping in really. I'm jumping in really quick because Come you just in. described my life story. Literally, there's nothing in what you just shared from like what your mom tried to do to your experience and religion. Like that's my story 100%. And so when you say that, like, as you started to question more, like you found yourself jumping more and more into the church, um, I will note I did the same thing and I would often go to the church and it would just, I would like, have the keys. So of course, cause I ran all the technology and everything. So, and I would go there and like, just spend time in the church crying and praying and I'd get the microphone out and like do all the, that jazz as like a way of trying to earn God's favor like when you say you started to get more intimate with the Lord, like what did that tangibly look like? Um, it just like kind of off my own, my own bat. Like I, I just, I, it's kind of like this typical conversion experience. Like I just, I read the Bible more and more and I used to spend more time in prayer and I, I would have these intimate moments. And then actually, sorry, I'm jumping around a little bit here, guys, but, I got really into Nikki, Nikki Cruz, Devil on the Run, Born to, I don't, I he was kind of this stalwart of evangelicalism. He was an evangelist, blah, 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 blah. David Wilkerson, yeah, um, yeah, Cross yeah. and the Switchblade. Yeah, yeah. So that's about Nikki Cruz. Okay. And he's he's got this whole story about growing up with his parents being witches and yada, yada, yada. And there's this whole thing around blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And this probably was my first indication of a struggle with anxiety. Um, I kind of had this compulsive thought to, to say that I hated the Holy Spirit. Um, and I remember I just said it and not, I, was, I don't even know why. I must have been reading the book around it. And, and that set up already a, oh, my God, I blasphemed the Holy Spirit. I am forever and ever 
condemned. Like there's, there's no coming back from here. Why did I do this? Um, and then coupled with this kind of growing awareness of my, my sexuality, I just, I prayed harder. I started fasting. Um, remember I'm like 14, 13, 14 about this stage. So I would fast and I bloody love food. Um, and so I would obviously fail my fast, which would then set up this cycle of condemnation. So then I'd stop eating for longer. Um, I, I kind of got out of that on my, on my own, but I just like, I, I went to church every service that I had. I was at every prayer meeting. Um, I, I remember my family used to have pirated DVDs. Sorry, sorry, internet. Um, <laughs> and I wouldn't watch them because they were, they were wrong. They were illegal. I broke all of my burnt CDs. I deep threw out the books. I threw out, yeah. Um, so I just, it, it just became more and more of my personality. In fact, I was an earnest Christian Mitch at school. Um, that was to distinguish me from hot Mitch. So I'm not sure what that Aww. says. Um, <laughs> so uh, no. Uh, yes. Yeah, so I basically just became more and more focused on it. And I, and I wanted to be a pastor. So there was that then jump ahead a few years. I spent a year for working with the church in London, uh, volunteering for a church in London, my gap year. And it was at the end of that, just towards the end of that, where I, I just always had this knot of anxiety in my stomach. Um, and I couldn't really feel God's presence anymore. And I remember I was in this big camp. Uh, so they had these big festivals in the summer. It's like 10,000 people there. And I remember I said, God, I just, I just want you to deal with this now and cue the biggest panic attack of my life. Um, and I'd never ha had one before, so I didn't, I didn't know what was happening. Um, but obviously my, my breathing went, my vision started going, and my hands started to curl up. Like this. So, what does every good Pentecostal child assume is happening to them? A demon. You've been slain in the spirit. Oh, demons. Oh, yeah. We've been out of church too long. Wrong direction. The gay spirit was trying to come out. And so, some people took me out and prayed for me and calmed me down, essentially. And I. Yeah, I basically had this experience where I had this inner sense of I, I've got to start dealing with this. And it was actually the first time in years that I'd, I'd felt any sense of peace. Um, and so I went to like the kind of the counsellor dude who didn't really do counselling. It was, we're going to ask questions and God's going to talk to you. Right. But it was essentially, and I said to him, look, I, I'm struggling with my sexuality. I think I, think I might be gay. Um, and he said, well, have you had any sex yet? And I was like, no. And he's like, oh, well, then this is going to be easy. God will fix you like that. <laughs> um, and so it was kind of this strange experience of asking questions and getting answers. But obviously there's all this deep psychological projection happening. And, um, and then I had to come home to Australia about a month later. So I just opened this can of worms and I was coming back to a place I really didn't want to come back to with no real support or community around me. Uh, and I went downhill pretty quick. Um, and I actually found out about six months later that that counselor had been stood down because what he liked to do 
was get young guys in their early 20s, which I was at that stage, somehow convince them to get naked in the counselling sessions um, and maybe touch their penis. And look, I'm not going to lie, guys. I was a little... um, Disappointed? I was like, well, I was like, what, wasn't I attractive enough? (laughs) (laughs) You didn't 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 have a crack. But more so once I got over that initial vanity, um, (laughs) I was really pissed. Initial vanity. (laughs) Yeah, I was was really pissed. Like, who the fuck... Like, you're telling me that God's going to change me. Hypocrite. Yeah, you're, right, you're married. Exactly. And, That's horrible. Um, and all of that stuff. And I, I basically just went downhill <laughs> from that point um, because I'd, I'd opened this can of worms of, shit, I'm gay and, and it's not going away. Let me I ask you this. You keep yeah. saying you, you, you went downhill. In hindsight, would you say you went downhill or were you going uphill? <laughs> Look, I would say I went. Let's think of it like a slingshot. I went really far downhill <laughs> to then go up. Um, yeah, so I, I I was trying to deal with it on my own and that definitely wasn't working. Um, I, I got really depressed. I was having panic attacks all of the time. I started studying full-time at university. I was working full-time uh, at that stage with, foster children and then with homeless children so I had a lot on my plate um and I lost about oh, what is it for you guys I think like 40 pounds um and I didn't sleep I had to take sleeping pills to sleep I would often take them in the middle of the day on the weekends just to iron myself out so I didn't have to feel or cope with anything mm. um there were multiple times when I considered uh, ending it because I, I just I couldn't see a way out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started distancing myself from church and there was this real push-pull between well, I still love God and I still want to be with God, but then I know I don't belong here and if people find out that I'm fucked um, yeah. and maybe God doesn't even want me around anymore and and so, how old Sorry. were you when you were having this uh, revelation or this anxiety attack? Uh, uh, 21, 22, okay. so about 10 years ago. Um, and up until that point, um, you said that maybe you were noticing that you didn't talk the same way the rest of the guys did around, like, but did, were you having actual, like, male attraction that you were wrestling you know with at all? Like, or was, or was it just the anxiety that, like, was attached to? the fact that you might be like looking back on it, I can definitely know one person in my early high school years where I was like, Oh, that was a crush. (laughs) Oh, that's what that was. Um, because, uh, yeah. And then in my high school years, there was someone that I then figured out afterwards. I was like, Oh, I, I like him. I have a crush on him. It's not just, Oh, you know, there's some but in the moment you never situation yeah no the, so never i was so camera. holy like i it just it didn't really enter my mind because you know sex was for marriage and and also that kind of notion was a bit of a protection for me of, of my salvation because well i might have these thoughts i might have these attractions but i'm not acting on them mm. so i'm still safe i'm still acceptable um, yeah, sure. 
Did some of this is you've said a couple times you've mentioned food and fasting and losing all the weight. Did you have eating disorders as a result of some of this stuff too, or I guess I because well, the I reason was, I'm I asking the reason sorry the reason I'm asking is because that's what I I would fast and I could see that I was using that to control myself. Um, like, um, I have tendencies to be anorexic. Like, I have to be careful that I eat. <laughs> Mm. Like especially when I was younger, not so much now. I'm fat now. Yeah, <laughs> but no, you're not. Good lord. <laughs> but I, I'm just curious. Does that was that part of how your your anxiety and depression did that manifest in that way at all, or not really? Yeah. So I think um, I would say that there's probably a, a, an unhealthy family dynamic around food in the first place for, for me. Um, so that probably is where that, that sits. Um, and I, the, I think the fasting and all of that was, that was my way of controlling. Mm-hmm. Um, and it definitely started to get to the, to the point where it was, it was unhealthy. I was drinking like, I think I was drinking like six, diet cokes because no calories but fills your stomach up um i would try and eat one meal a day um i would it was exercising crazy amounts uh i, I did throw up a few times I, I um i was using laxatives and and all those stuff so it was it was yeah pretty much eating disorder territory that i was involved in and i i think it was a this was what I could control. This is where I could put energy and focus that had nothing to do with God and, and religion. Um, mm-hmm. th- that was in my early years and in, in my later years. Um, I want to mention something. Um, and again, I'm, I'm going to reference a little bit of my own personal story, but I, I want to see if you can identify with this. Um, when I came to the realization that I was gay and I was doing a lot of things in the church, I, I knew it was homosexuality, but at the same time, I didn't. Does that make sense? Like, it, it was like I was acting out in gay behavior, but I would never call it gay because I was so tied to the church. I always felt like I was doing what I needed to and God was protecting me in a way. Mm-hmm. And so, like, it took me a really long time to even say those words, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I'm just, I'm hearing that a lot in your story. And so, I just wondered if you identified with that. I don't yeah, know how to describe so, it in a, in a way. Because it's like, I yeah. you know what it is, but you don't. And I was like so, in that total <laughs> denial state. Well, as I said, very porous boundaries here. So I'm going to share. Um, I, look, I didn't really have any sexual activity until I was in my mid-20s. Um, bit of a late bloomer. Um, so there was that kind of protection for me i guess because that was my last that was my last kind of protection from my mind of why well, i'm still a good little christian boy however mm-hmm. definitely in my late teens i again borderline porn addiction um and it wasn't straight porn um but even then there was a rationale in my mind around I went to a Christian school and we don't get sex education and I'm just curious about my body. And if I'm curious about my body, I might as well watch two men instead of a 
man and a woman. So that was a mental gymnastics course. Um, uh, but I think by the time that I actually started doing gay shit, um, I knew what it, I knew what it was like, and it was mostly a choice. My actual kind of breaking point where things got worse was, um, I, I kind of had an unplanned encounter with someone and I, like, I just, I flipped out afterwards, like, oh my God, what, what have I done? What have I done? And was like, I, I need to fix this. Mm-hmm. Um, which is then when I told the pastor of the church that I was going to at the time, which was a, a very Toronto style, Toronto blessing style church. Um, which then set up <laughs> uh, my kind of pray the gay away season of my life where uh, the pastor had, had said that, you know, he could discern that I struggled with this spirit, um, but I, I wasn't, I can't remember his exact words, but um, that I wasn't, I wasn't gross about it, but he could tell that it was something that I struggled with. You weren't gross about it? Yeah, there was something around like I wasn't sleazy about it or something like that. Wow. Um, Yeah. Um, And, you know, thankfully to him, (laughs) I was still allowed to be on the worship team um, because I wasn't engaging in sexual activities. I don't think I told him about the experience, probably why. Um, But I remember then this strange conversation where his advice to me was, well, I don't really get this metrosexual thing, um, <laughs> but I, I caution you against any wearing any makeup or any guy liner, I think they're calling it, because the Bible says that those who paint their eyes, it's associated with prostitution and the demonic. <sighs> and I remember, Was he telling like, the girls a, the same thing? Well, I remember looking at him and thinking, have you seen your daughter? And your daughter-in-law, <laughs> like, um, and then there was, and then he encouraged me to date girls and blah blah blah, and then I got sent to something which was called Theophostic Ministry. Oh, um, oh, yeah, which was yeah, this, very familiar. Yeah, this kind of prayer counselling situation, and that was really damaging. Um, again, it, it's this kind of setup of. They ask questions to expose a memory that holds a lie that you believe. And then you ask Jesus to come and change the belief. Um, and it was like, I remember being told like that I dressed in certain ways to get male attention. Um, and I, I was a bit confused about that. And she said, well, you wear very tight clothes. And I was like, that's because I've gotten fat and my clothes don't fit me. <laughs> um, <laughs> There was things around. Same. There was comments about my parents, and uh, and then this this fundamental thing of you're choosing this on some level. You're choosing yeah. to be gay, mm-hmm. and if you just stopped choosing, or if we could just find the belief and fix it, then you'd magically become straight again. Um, how how long did heard that, that process? Line before. How long did your process of theophostic prayer happen? Because when I did the theophostic prayer thing, it was like one week and then done. <laughs> Is this like a? Oh uh, no, I did. I did multiple. Yeah, I mine was over a series of months, probably up to a year. I did the training, um, and I think the the funny thing was, I actually had an experience in the midst of all that. Of, I'm I'm hesitant to use this language, but 
if we if we can encounter the love of God and experience it in our bodies, I probably had an experience of that in in the midst of all of this where I don't think it happened according to the way that the Theophostic Prayer Counselor wanted it to happen. <laughs> but I had this experience of kind of seeing Jesus in my mind's eye and he was holding holding something that kind of represented my sexuality and, and, and all of that. And I remember in my mind being like, don't touch it, Jesus, it'll make you dirty. Like, it'll make you unclean like I'm unclean. And um, in this image, Jesus started like, breaking it up and eating it and taking it into his body. And I was like, I was freaking out on the verge of a panic attack, being like, I'm making God unclean. Um, and it was just, it was just this sense of between me and God of there's nothing that you could do that makes you unclean to me. There's, there's nothing that will make you unclean because if I take it into myself, I make it clean in myself. Now my, my thinking process probably evolved beyond that at this stage. Um, and then I just had this image of God holding me and I, I was never particularly prone to spiritual experiences, um, or, but I just had this, it was like this warm liquid just burst through my heart. And I just started weeping and weeping as I had this sense of, I, I don't understand it cause it obviously doesn't fit my theology, but I know that God loves me and I'm, I'm, I'm okay. And so that kind of started this questioning of well what's what's actually being taught here and, and what are they trying to to make happen here um mm -hmm. which then kind of started this the deconstruction process of um well maybe maybe this isn't right and I, I just remember i kept going to this place of surely god doesn't want me to kill myself surely if god is if god is love and accepts me as i am then surely my faith should not be leading me to a place where I actually want to die. Um, and I was like, essentially, this is my choice point. Believe that God is love and, and that I just don't understand that or I kill myself. That was pretty much the point that I got to with, in all of this. Um, and spoiler, I chose, <laughs> chose believing in love. Um, and that was definitely not without many questions and confusions and certainly a point of fuck all this shit. <laughs> right. Yeah. So would you say that you're still a believer? Are you still a Christian? Do you still claim Jesus as savior and God? That is a great question, Chris. I had a conversation with someone a couple of years ago. I met someone in Sydney that was from the area in London where I'd done my, my church stuff and he actually knew a bunch of people. He wasn't a, a believer, but he made this comment to me around, oh, it's interesting. You'll always have a Christian brain, won't you? Like no matter what you do, no matter how your beliefs evolve, you'll always have this Christian brain. And at first I was like, what? No, like I don't, I'm not a Christian anymore. I don't, I don't believe in this. And then the more I kind of sat with it, I was like, you're right. Like I'm always going to have this Christian brain. I was so immersed in it. It was my life. I was the kid mm -hmm. at the front, you know, surrendering all to Jesus. I'll go where you send me, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I had a feeling that you would ask me this question. Um, so I probably would describe myself as a lazy mystic 
um, a lazy practical mystic. So I, I definitely, love that term. <laughs> I definitely, my my framework and my lens is still Christic, as in the Jesus myth. Um, is still kind of the lens and the framework through which I understand a lot of things. Um, and I, I can't deny certain experiences that I've had. Certainly, um, yeah. But I also, uh, I think another friend said it to me, you know, my home is Christianity, but I have, I have houses everywhere else. So I probably ascribe more to that kind of Richard Raw perennial tradition type. Yeah, thing. I definitely would not describe myself as evangelical in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, and and often kind of, yeah, but still there's things in Christianity where I'm like, I, think, oh, I don't really know what to think about this. Right. I think that's a good idea. Yeah. I think that's good. Well, let me ask you this: the there had to have been a point in your life where you said, "All right." I don't believe in you anymore, or I don't believe that you're, you know, divine or whatever it was, whatever experience you had, there had to have been some, you know, wall in the middle of your road where you had to stop and choose to go a different path. Yeah. What was that experience like for you? Yeah. So I had moved to Melbourne. I move around a lot. Um, And I kind of, I moved to Melbourne in 2000 and end of 2013. And that was my break from, I'm leaving Canberra. I'm leaving where everyone knows me. I'm going to Melbourne and I'm going to come out. I'm going to, I'm going to live life as a gay man. Um, and so I, I went there and kind of was like, well, I don't really know how to do this. Um, and still this kind of, do I go to church or do I not go to church? And I found a, I don't think at that stage it was necessarily an affirming church, but it was a church where a lot of gay people were going. Yeah, they were welcomed at least. Yeah, they were welcomed. The pastor had a story of being healed of his homosexuality, um, but wasn't gross about it and, and, would, and would say, I don't know why or how it happened. And, my, and his expectation was that it didn't happen for most people. So a relatively safe environment for queer people to go to. Um, And I kind of dabbled there for a bit and then just went, oh, you know what? It's not my thing. I left. I came back a few years later when he had left and and the church was much more explicitly affirming. Um, And I'd been going through a lot of therapy at that stage. Uh, I was doing a lot of EFT or tapping. Um, Is that EMDR to us? It's very similar to EMDR, so emotional freedom techniques. Yeah. Um, And I was doing neurofeedback. Mm. And um, because my, I'd kind of gotten to the place where my mind was in order, I knew what I thought and what I believed, but my body and my physiology was still very much in this traumatic um, uh, anxiety response pretty much all the time. And I was working in high trauma settings with homeless youth and, and I remember sitting up the back of the church and they were talking about Jesus. And I just, and I just sat there and I went, I just, I don't believe this. I just don't believe this anymore. And yeah. I was pretty much it. And funnily enough, this particular church, it was, it was in a very progressive part of Melbourne, the least religious part of Australia. Um, and it was a kind of a church that 
ex-evangelicals and Pentecostals went to to recover from burnout. And so they often joke about the church where your faith comes to die. Um, <laughs> and so they were really good about it. Um, and I just, I just stopped going. And I just, I just stopped thinking about it and I stopped giving a shit about it, to be honest. Isn't it funny though that you go to the church where you're, you know, quote unquote, f- your faith goes to die, but don't you in letting your faith in the higher power, the divinity of Jesus or whatever, does that not uh, turn that mirror back on yourself and let the faith in yourself be born? Yeah. So, yeah, I, yeah, I basically went, it was this idea that no one was coming to save me. Yeah. And no one was coming to fix me. That's right. Um, and so, I, I really had to go through this period of what do I think? What do I feel? What do I believe here? And what's my evidence for that? Um, and yeah, I definitely also went through a period of deep anger and rejection of all things church. I still had this this weird belief or this weird experience of I didn't like other people trash talking the church because I was like you don't you I was like you don't understand the nuances you don't understand why people behave like this and so that used to really shit me. Um, it's like someone can trash talk you can trash talk your family as much as you want but no one else can. That's right. Um, right. <laughs> and but yeah, I was. Yeah, I, I just didn't want to have anything to do with it. And so it kind of gave me the freedom to to delve more into therapy and doing all that, but also to explore things that I'd always been really curious about that didn't because they were wrong and they weren't Christian and they were filled with demons. Yeah, like your sexuality. Yeah, like my sexuality, different <laughs> forms of spirituality. Yeah. I remember I was always really curious about other religions, but yeah, we, I remember on a, on a missions trip to India, we weren't even allowed to look at the temples. Like, no, wow. not, we couldn't even go into them. Why would you we go weren't to... allowed to look at them lest demon entered into our eyeballs. Oh my God. Um, so, why would you go to India if you can't even, like, take in the surroundings? Like, <laughs> Because we needed to save the pagans, Omar. How do you, um, how do you save them if you can't look at them? <laughs> well, we basically only went to church, so I'm not quite sure what was happening there. <laughs> And I remember my, my school, which was a Christian school, we, we did a world religions course and we went and visited other temples. And I remember my pastor losing his shit over it um, because by going into the temples, we were submitting to the spirit of those <laughs> religions and we're going to have demons in us. And even yeah. then I remember being like, so if one of them comes to church, do they automatically get filled with the Holy Spirit? <laughs> no, that's not how it works. And I was like, I often right. wonder, like those type of pastors, is it just that they're are they drinking their own Kool Aid and feeling that much full of fear as well, or is it just like a control thing that they're afraid that like they might lose control somehow? Like I often wonder, or if it's a balance of maybe the, both of it. I think a lot of evangelical faith in its harmful form, just like um, <laughs> is. I think it's very much grounded in fear because it's this fear. You've got this belief of the absolute divine truth that is found in Jesus as God in order to, to obtain that you have to have this confession of faith, agree to these propositions. 
And if you question one of those things, you go to hell. And burn forever, yeah. And burn forever. So there's a fun, there's an attachment thing there and there's a fundamental fear. But I also think like, and as an outsider commenting on American kind of politics and culture at the moment, I think very much we're now seeing this conversation evolve of a lot of our Christianity was uh, immersed in white white supremacy and, and, and racism and patriarchy. So therefore anything foreign is therefore demonic. Yeah. Anything that I don't understand is demonic. Um, and, and, and if I. If, if you eat of things, the tree of knowledge of, of good and yeah. evil, you will perish. Yeah. And so if yeah. I, if I have any kind of involvement in those things, I'm opening myself up to demonic influence. My beliefs change. I question Jesus. I burned in hell. Yeah. So it's this really weird fucked up thing of like, I'm, I'm telling you this because I genuinely love you and I don't want you to go to hell. And that's what I'm scared is going to happen to you. Um, but then it's also this very messed up idea of what love is um, and confusing most of it with fear and control. Which, which is crazy to even think that we are responsible where somebody could end up one way or the other. Like it's hard, it's hard enough figuring out where we're going to end up personally. <laughs> like how in the hell are we going to then think that we have any control say or thought on any other human being and where they might end yep. up. And the Bible even like alludes that or tells us that, but somehow like we've created this Pentecostalism, even like happens in Bap- Baptist as well. There's the whole like idea of evangelism evangelizing so i guess that would be evangelicalism you know and the whole idea of like we have to impose your religion or your belief system on other people or they may end up in a bad place like well their blood is on your hands yeah yeah, it's like that's what we were taught you know so as we near the end of our conversation today i want to i want to mean i feel like i probably should give more time to this but i want to talk about what you're doing now yeah because yeah. it you know you talked about that slingshot right like things were really shitty like and it really pulled you down but then it propelled you forward to a point where you're actually helping others and i want to note pk langley has been commenting all throughout this inner all throughout this conversation and one of the things she mentioned was that she loves what you're doing now and how you're turning that energy um toward helping others and so i want to just spend a little bit of time here and talk about what you're doing to help others Mm, given everything that you've been through, you know, look, (laughs) my, my aspirations were always to be a pastor. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of that would have been driven by the culture that I was in probably a bit of ego. Um, but also I think, uh, it's just a bit of my personality as well. So I ended up doing youth work and counseling, worked with homeless teenagers, worked with refugees. Now I do a slightly different, uh, different job i do a bit more leadership training and consulting but what i do a lot of is uh trauma work um and and coaching kind of just general coaching where i'm focusing a lot of my energy at the moment now is uh training people in eft emotional freedom techniques as a way to calm physiology basically it's a stress reduction tool helps you helps your body calm down essentially from different memories and beliefs similar to EMDR. So I do a lot of work with Dr. Peter Stapleton and training with Dr. Laurie Layden, who's an American lady. Yep. Um, but I've also created a little, a little Facebook group. Um, it's called unfuck your chakras. Um, 
and it's that's a bit awesome. Of a, it's a bit of a play on words um, because I where I live, Byron Bay is very very spiritual, New Agey kind of vibe, which just isn't necessarily my thing. Um, but I'm I'm open to those the wisdom in that. But so I focus a lot on dream work. Um, dreams were actually really important to me during that period of my life. I had a very important pivotal dream, which kind of showed me what was actually happening right in the midst of me taking sleeping pills and um, just being so in the the depths of all of this. I had this very epic dream um, where my pastor and my mother burst into a basement um, and I was there with a bunch of uh, homos and um, they, they <laughs> grabbed me and they, they dragged me out and I was like fighting with them saying, no, you don't understand, you don't understand. Um, and they took me through this ancient city and they were going to push me out of the gates when a wind came, lifted me up, set me on top of the city gates. And there was all of these people that were like ghosts. Um, and I would walk up to them and they'd say, you're loved, like you're accepted, you, there's a purpose for you and they would grow flesh. Um, and then I, I looked and there was this big black cloud rolling in over the city. So I went back to warn people and said, there's darkness coming. If you don't do something, the city won't last. They said, we know what you are um, and we're not going to listen to you. And so I went back to my, my ghosty friends and um, we, we, we prayed in, in this dream, come Holy Spirit, and a, and a light surrounded us and the darkness passed over and we went back into the city and it was empty. Um, but uh, a teacher, of, a primary school teacher of mine, elementary, I think you guys call it, um, teacher of mine who was a, an Indigenous woman, handed me a bunch of my childhood clothes and said, here, you've forgotten these. And that was my dream. And it, it made me realise that, kind of to your point, Chris, that even though I felt like I was being rejected by the church, that there was some other element, there was some force that was actually leading me out of it so that where I put my focus was different, who I focused on was different. So from doing my counselling, I've done lots of dream work myself, coupled with the the trauma training. Uh, I just take people through different processes where they can look at their dreams, if their dreams are active, if they're not active, there's other ways. But as a way to kind of see what's actually happening in your subconscious, see what's actually happening and also have the tools to practically work through your trauma. Um, over the next few weeks, I'm actually training health professionals and psychologists in EFT um, just as a way to get it out there for people to have a really practical tool to work through their trauma, work through their stress, work through resistance to growing, to, to creating new things in their life. Uh, and I'm in the very early stages of actually writing a training for uh, counsellors and, and health professionals around working with religious trauma um, and also wanting to put together a program that helps people move through, move through their own religious trauma, whether that ends up in a place of no faith or whether that ends up in a place of reclaimed faith. I'm actually really happy that I'm in a place now where I'm like, great, whatever your journey is. I have no, no preference for where people go. Um, but obviously just wanting to give that the, the weight and the, the, the nuance that such a program like that would, 
work through. But I love EFT. I love tapping as it's a, it's a really cool tool for people to have. Um, to work Is that the thing where you kind of like? Yeah. So you would start off. We start off here. Yeah. And, and you tap through different points on your body. Okay. Yeah. It's really weird looking. Um, but Dr. <laughs> Peter Stapleton's been doing a lot of fMRI and different brain scans to understand what's happening in the brain. And basically, it's a it's a combination of exposure therapy. So you expose yourself to a memory or a belief that causes some form of physiological distress in your body. Right. Um, so actually, in my first training, the memory that came up was my theophostic pray the gay away stuff. And funnily enough, my physiology just went haywire and I, I started hyperventilating. And we just started tapping, you know, to the different points as I got in contact with this memory. And within about two minutes, it all just went. <sighs> and I remember at the end of it going, I feel like I've just dropped seven years of, of weight mm. that's been resting on me. Right. And that was kind of my point of what what is this thing? I, I need to know more. Um, and so, as you're tapping on the different points, there's little bundles of nerves in all of these points that essentially sends a signal back to the amygdala, which is your fight and flight area of your brain, and gets it to calm down so that your hippocampus and other regions of the brain can kind of actually process the memory um, and reconsolidate it so that it's not firing off that threat response anymore. So it's, it's unlike EMDR, which, you know, has to do with eye movement. Uh, it also has to do with, uh, you know, f uh, from what I understand, replacing, you know, traumatic uh, experiences with maybe positive ones, uh, but also, yeah. um, you know, releasing that trauma from your nervous system. But it's very, it sounds like it's very similar and also very effective. Yeah. So it's very similar from my understanding that, uh, EMDR doesn't have as much research behind it as mm -hmm. EFT. It's it's, uh, it's more it's more accepted at the moment. Yeah, uh, just and not not commenting on EMDR. I'm not trained in it. I my experience of chatting to people is that they often talk about being a bit re-traumatized during the process. That that might say more about their therapist than the actual tech technique mm. itself yeah. um eft we're not so much interested in replacing people's memories gotcha it's very much like what are you experiencing now as you think about this okay well let's deal with what you're experiencing now as you kind of bring and our whole goal is can i make you feel safe can i help you stay safe while your body releases the trauma can i do it in a way that doesn't re-traumatize you i don't need you to have a big catharsis I just need you to be safe. Yeah. Um, and then what we find happens that as that stress comes off the brain and the body, that we talk about cognitive shifts. So essentially now that that stress is off, your your present wise part of conscious part of your brain can now reframe without me as the therapist getting you to reframe. So I don't need to tell you what to think or what to believe. What often happens is that people just have a cognitive shift they just see it differently because their body's not going into a stress response anymore right yeah um, yeah is that, so, some, is that a type of therapy you can do online or do you yeah have to so be present? no so i do most of my sessions online um we just ran a two-day trauma training for therapists uh, online and we had them practicing month of november i'll be running trainings that'll all be online 
um, as long as I can see your face, you can see my face, and we can connect to one another, then it it works. What's the promo code for our listeners to get a, a bit of a discount to come and do therapy with you? Yeah, um, <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll give one to you. Um, yeah. I've also got a course for the unfuck your chakras on dream work and EFT. Yeah. Um, that's, that's for free. Uh, I originally was going to sell it for, I think like 150 us. Um, could put a lot of effort into it. Certainly. And as I was sitting on, sitting on the beach the other week, I just went, I got into all of this work cause I was working with homeless teenagers and I was pissed that the people who needed the most support couldn't access it because it was too costly. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what made me. And also I was working with teenagers who were like, Mitch, I'm sick of talking about my shit. Talking about it doesn't do anything, which then made me look at more somatic-based therapies, which EFT is. Um, and the kindness of Dr. Laurie Laid and Dr. Peter, who gave me trainings for free when I was a poor youth worker. Um, and so I just decided, no, this is all for free. This is this is for people to use. Um as, as they see fit. So I'll, I'll send you guys the link for that and I'll Perfect. come up with a promo code to work with me. Um, yeah, that'd be great. And, and you know, it, it could be that we would have people be interested, uh, you know, in having therapy sessions with you. Uh, and that would be really good. And, and honestly, you know, if you're good at something, never do it for free. Um, you put the work into it. You deserve, you know, some sort of uh, pay because how else are you going to continue to be able to do it unless you, you know, have some sort of support. Uh, yeah. So I love that you have, you know, uh, your your um guides to your unfuck your chakra and uh what was the other one that you had available for free you had that one for free and what was the other one so uh so that's the group and then there's a dream work dream work in eft so gotcha using your dreams to kind of begin processing some probably latent trauma or just what's happening in your life at the moment yeah well we'll make sure to put those in the show notes for sure and is there a website uh, you can direct people if they wanted to find out more about you? Yeah, so just mitchgainey.com. It's easy. It's easy. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I really appreciate um, your story and, and, you know, thank you for sharing that with us. And um, certainly glad that things are, are a lot better for you. And it seems like you really have, uh, you know, started to love yourself and, and worship yourself as opposed to worshiping uh, an invisible friend. And for that, uh, I applaud you. So awesome. Thanks, guys. It's yeah. been really lovely hanging out with you all. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line 
prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 